So as the book <clears throat> being written to the Hebrews, there's some preliminary, um, just a foundational thought that I want to unpack, and then I want to say one thing that's already been said. To understand this passage, you have to have a, a grasp of Sabbath. Would anybody disagree with that? The, the, the Jews celebrated Sabbath from day one of their existence, and it was a part of the rhythms of everything they did. So to even begin to grasp what's being said here, we've got to talk about a Sabbath. Uh, and so I know it's football season, and everybody's excited about it, so I don't want to st stomp anybody's foot. You can choose which, evidently, Saturday or Sunday, whatever Sabbath you're going to celebrate. But I, I want to unpack a Sabbath. I want to talk about it. I know that there can be some religious stigma to it, but I want to unpack it so that we can hit some type of a, um, a double or a triple with the content of what's being said here. Um, if you're anything like me, up until the last few months, my experience with Sabbath has been more like the reception of playing telephone with kids. Um, my convictions about it had nothing to do with my personal revelation from God about it. It had everything to do with whatever someone like Pastor Ben said or whatever book I read or whatever. So it's all this like passed on information that even in the even historical just church experiences and traditions that the church has picked up, I, I just, you know, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. <laughs> you know, it's a debate about whether you can buy liquor on Sundays. Like it's, you know, it's just that, that's, that's been my whole reference for Sabbath. And so as I've entered into kind of um, just more knowledge of it, it's so interesting that this passage is so teeters on this concept. Um, it's, it's funny that ultimately our traditions are not just Sabbath, but our traditions in general, like why we have such a pastorally strong church now where um, where, where the other components of the fivefold ministry are not as functional. It's just this very strong pastoral role, which is not a bad thing. It's almost, I think, probably a necessity of kind of the environment that, that we're in and the byproduct of where we've come. But a lot of our traditions at times can get in the way of, of that personal guidance of the Lord, that rhema-ness. Uh, there's a passage I want to bring up from Jesus where he was dealing with Pharisees and Sadducees, and um, they are basically stepping aside from honoring their mo mother and mothers and fathers, and they're like kind of dumping them off. And so Jesus kind of speaks right into their mess. And if you go back into the more of this text in Matthew 15, you can study more of what exactly happened. But this is what the text says: it says, "Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples, your disciples, break tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands.'" When they eat bread, and he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the, transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And so we have this human ability to, by our comforts, by just the experiences handed down to us, to be opposing healthy relationships with God by our actions. And first of all, I think that we have to be aware that this stuff can go on, that like if we're just left to our own, and you guys know this, if you're left to your own uh, traditions or your own kind of will, you know, it's not necessarily a healthy state that we 
develop and that we grow into, but that we at times just pick up things that are comfortable and not necessarily the things that God would have us do and have us He would have us be. Um, so, you know, so why the Sabbath? What day is the Sabbath? Um, how do we honor the Sabbath? What are some of the Sabbath day traditions? Like why, if it's a, a weekly thing and in um, Exodus 34 and 35, uh, the, the scriptures and, and God commands that if someone doesn't honor the Sabbath, that they're to be given death. You know, and so if, if it meant so much to Moses, it meant so much to God that he chiseled it with his finger, is what Exodus 34 says. God chiseled the Ten Commandments with his finger and gave it to him on a stone. If, it ch- if he chiseled it on a stone and gave it to him and for, for his people and for now us to have a reference to, why would all of a sudden, you know, I have this telephone reference of what it, the Sabbath means. Why would it all of a sudden become somewhat meaningless to me? Um, and I would, I'm going to argue that it's because it's of great importance, that, it's, that it's, there's importance in the heart of it, um, not in the religious rigmarole of it, but at the heart of what was meant and the heart of what it means, um, that it's super important. One of the things as New Testament believers we do is, uh, how many people like myself have ever um, stepped away from Old Testament teachings because Jesus didn't reiterate them in the New Testament. Has anybody else, else ever done that before? Like, I got freedom because Jesus didn't, he didn't re-say this, so I'm just going to live in freedom of that. And thank you, Jesus. You know, you fulfilled my, you know. But, you know, the thing that we all know is that Jesus didn't cleanse us of our sins so we can walk in more sins. He cleanses of our sins so we can walk with him. That he completed that sacrifice, that need, so that we could walk with him and know him, and so that our ears, when we hear the Old Testament teachings, we wouldn't hear this, you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that, and there's there's a heart of them that point to God, that the way that David uh, reveled in and loved the scriptures, he loved it, because it it established a foundation of how to live his life, how to please God. And ultimately, it's been revolutionary that Moses brought down those commandments from God. It's revolutionized how all governments and how all people have lived together. It's like who would ever question whether or not uh, thou shalt not kill is a bad idea. I like being alive. Like, you know, like Jesus satisfied, you know, he cleansed me of my sins, so I'm just going to go around and, you know, murder people. Like, it's just, it's insanity. Uh, another passage I want to look at regarding the um, Jesus reiterating some Old Testament passages here is from Matthew 22. I'm sure you guys have read this passage and it's somewhat um, deep, but I just want to unpack it for a moment. What do you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. It's encouraging, huh? It's funny, it's funny how when I was playing, watching the movie with the kids, like it's funny how 
I don't know if it's been done really well yet, but it's really hard to show Jesus being compassionate when he says all these things. You know, it's like, why is Jesus so mad all the time? I wish, because Jesus, I'm like, he's so loving, and every time he corrects me, it's with such deep love, and you know, it's, but it's really hard to portray on film. It's like, man, Jesus is angry. Um, so, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin. So, these are like the smallest of the, uh, what's the word, um, of the vegetation of the growth of their, uh, of their harvest. This is the smallest, tiniest plants. And so they, uh, I'm imagining, go on their porches and like just see this tiny plant and they cut off this tenth, this first fruit, and they bring it, you know, and like they care so much about it. Um, and, he, and Jesus said that you should have, that, but you've neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness, uh, which are like the, the most hardy of them. It's almost like, back to my point earlier, like, you know, we can get so caught up in the don't do this and the don't do that that we miss, like, the point of what's being said. It's like, love others and care for others and love the alien and take care of them. And, you know, this, this whole thing of, like, the, the unction of what God was trying to do. And it's funny how we and them, uh, we can just at times just see all the don't do this stuffs. Um, you blind guys, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel, they would... Because they didn't want to be impure, they would use a, a strainer to like make sure that in their water and their drinks that they wouldn't get a uh, a gnat in there or a, or a fly because it, they would become unclean and and so they cared so deeply about these um, smaller things. But my point is is that here Jesus reiterates the tithe, he re- reiterates the the heart of these things, and so um, as has been said before, you know the. The New Testament is the fulfillment and satisfaction of, of the Old Testament. That, that somehow they're one in some beautiful, mysterious way. And so the things that are said in the Old Testament are revealed in the New. And so they don't necessarily cancel each other out, per se. They build on each other. So like the place where Jacob laid down his head and, and poured oil on it and called it Bethel, that became the place of Bethlehem. And it became a, a holy place that was consecrated, that, that just... It builds on itself so that, yes, we are the, the temple, and yes, he is doing something new that's profound and supernatural and that, that's other, but these all these things still have a weight and an importance to them. So I think it's important to say here that um, Jesus was a Jew. He was a perfect Jew. He never broke one law, despite things like the Sabbath was um, consistently tested in, uh, in the New Testament, that he was perfect in every way, and that all these laws are, that they have, they're good. So regarding the Sabbath day itself, so here's what we know, and here's what um, is starting place for this. The Sabbath was a gift to the people. It was just a gift. Rest. <laughs> Rest. You know, here's one day a week. Rest. Like, really, like, it, it, it's, it's, it's a gift to us, right? So, you know, we're, in our car minds, we got our religion, we get all caught up, like, oh, God, I gotta do this, I gotta rest, I gotta, no, no, no. But he's, he's saying, rest. One day a week, stop. Trust that he's taking care of you. 
trust that he's the one providing for you. Don't listen to the culture. Don't just because they want you to be there Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and, and, and they make you think that you're so important because of it. You really aren't that important. They'll, give, they'll, they'll find somebody else for you next week to fulfill your position. But God is saying, rest. I got this. I've got you. I'm the one taking care of you. I'm the one who's giving you the job. I'm the one who's giving you the capability to be there. I'm the one who's giving you grace not to slap somebody upside the head on Monday morning. He's the one who's doing that all that for us. And in some ways, I can just stop there. And we can just, we can just go home. But seriously, this gift to us, of resting one day a week. This is, this, is, this is the eyes that they're reading Hebrews chapter 4 through. This is where they start and, and, and where they come. Oh, um, can somebody get me back to that? To Hebrews 4. This is, this is where they're coming from. So they, they have these experiences, and probably like all of us, some of them are tainted by our own um, parents' religious interpretation of them. And, you know, as kids and as young adults, we kind of like uh, fall into traps about what they mean, but today know that it, it's a gift to you, a gift of rest. Everything wears out, guys. Clothes wear out, shoes wear out, your nerves wear out. If you spend too much time with your crazy kids, give them sugar. Things out of rest, otherwise you will break or you'll need medication to function. So let that soak in for a minute. It's a gift. Rest. It's a gift. God commanded it. Jesus abided by it. The apostles abided by it. All through the New Testament, it was never anything that was... Jesus did some things on it that the religious leaders misinterpreted. He healed people and did good things on the Sabbath, and so... You know, if, for example, like preseason football comes on Friday night, Saturday, you could watch it. Like, it's okay. <laughs> Probably not, but. <laughs> Furthermore, the Sabbath day. the day given to us to encounter God. Real rest is allowing ourselves to encounter God. It's the day that's set aside for him to remind you who you are. what you're called to. It's a day for him to break off barnacles or off your boat. It was never meant to be a burden. I've been reading a book over the last year or so, and it's a small book, so you can imagine how good of a reader I am. But I've, re I've been reading this book about a Sabbath for the last year or so by a Kabbalist. If anybody knows what Kabbalah is, it means it's like the mystical side of Judaism. And it's a little weird here and there, and like I definitely got to pick out the good parts and throw away the other stuff. But I find it really beautiful and interesting that at one point the, the writer talks about the Sabbath day being a day where the messianic reign will come. The seventh day, right? You know, anybody who's 
looking the face long enough and had enough good and bad teachings. You've heard about like the six thousand years and then the, the seven, you know, thousand year reign of Jesus. And you know, I'm not saying anything opposed, but I'm just saying that's just how it can be overemphasized at times. But this thousand year reign of the Messiah, uh, where where we are one with Him, where everything is complete, where everything is whole, where where we do rest and where we do have peace. That the the Sabbath day is a foretaste of that reign, of that completed work. That it's it's a not a space um, of holiness. It's a time of holiness where, and he goes on to say in some strange way, and, and I kind of affirm the theory of it, that veils are, are peeled back on that day, that Sabbath day of the week where he's accessible. Uh, I know that's a little cringy, but I just find it beautiful because for, um, for someone who doesn't know Christ as Messiah is able to recognize um, just how beautiful um, and accessible God is, how much more us on this side of things, knowing him and, and having access to him um, daily. I want to read a, a fringish passage. Um, you guys have, has everybody read Isaiah 58? It's kind of the, the justice passage. Is everybody, is everybody familiar with that? Um, it's a beautiful passage that kind of divides the line between kind of what fasting and religion is to kind of, kind of God's purpose of justice. And this is what it says, and I'm sure you've heard it, so let me just read it. Is this not that this is verse six? Is this not the fast which I chose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of, of the yoke, and let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see your naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then, when you do this justice, not just your own religious thing, then your light will break out like the dawn. And your recovery will be speedy, and your righteousness will go forth. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer you, and hear, and you will say, Here I am. So, this is this super profound passage about, you know, us as we uh, walk in his justice, walk in loving others and caring for others, that like it unhinged like the glory that God wants to in our lives. It's beautiful and great. But here's a passage about the Sabbath at the end of this chapter that I feel like slips by us. So here's, let me see here, verse 13. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor it, detesting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How many times have I read that passage and never considered um, the importance of or the relevance of a Sabbath day? <clears throat> so this is the time where I could tell you about how on Friday nights my wife lights candles and she prays a prayer over our family and the 
brooding presence of God comes into our house. It's one of the most spiritual moments in our, in our week. And where some, somehow, supernaturally, there's this, this, this replenishment, not from our work, but from our choosing to rest in him. Where I choose not to just entertain myself, but I choose to pursue him. I choose to, I choose to make him the purpose of my being, the purpose of my time. You know, the thing that we all kind of strive to throughout the week as well, you know, we as Christians think we gotta, we got to do that every day, and I think we should. We should put him first in every way, in every morning, follow, you know, all those things. But this, this day is set apart, I feel like, almost as a catalyst unto him. The Sabbath day isn't about whether or not it's on Saturday or Sunday. It's not about how you interpret what it looks like. It's about meeting with God. It's about choosing to say yes to this God who pursues us. It's about putting down all the lame and meaningless things in our lives and allowing his profundity to break through, to heal us. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 and 45. I'm going to read for you. You know this passage well. You've heard it a thousand times. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man has found, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes, sells all that he has, and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So one of the interpretations of this passage is that you've got to lay down everything to follow Jesus. And that's true. I'm grateful for that. I had to do that. I had to lay it all down and follow him. But another interpretation of this passage, which I feel like is the more profound interpretation, maybe the more accurate one, is that this is what Jesus did for us. Jesus laid it all down to come and be near us, to have access to us, to come and um, bring about revolution to our lives and to love us and to be near us. And a lot of times in worship, we, we like to ask God to be near and ask God to speak to us and give us an encounter with him. And I wonder if it's not time for us to give him an encounter of us. You ever thought about that? That he's paid this price to have an encounter with you. Charles, you can come up. We're gonna we're gonna move down. Um, so a couple things I want to pray through together, and Carl can just play softly for a moment. First of all, I want to to ask you to. Begin to respond to him, to begin to um, give him access to that encounter with you that he's paid the price for, that he's given up everything to have. Let's take a moment and just begin to, to welcome him and to allow him into your heart. Let him speak to you. God asked that you would speak to us, that you would remind us how much you love us, that you would remind us how much you long to be near us and to hear from us.
verse 11. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one may fall. We would follow the example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow is able to judge the thoughts and the intention of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him from whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to, in, grace to help in time of need. In light of this today, that this passage says earlier, in light of our conversation, what this means to me today, and what I'm sharing with you today, is that he has made a way for us to be near him. He's experienced all the hardship a person could experience. He's qualified to hear about our brokenness. He's qualified to hear about our, our, our wickedness. He's qualified to hear about these things, and he's qualified to grant you acceptance and admittance into the presence of the Father. He's made that way for you. He's made that way for you. He's made that way for you. He's the one whom can correct whatever's wrong in your heart that's keeping you from there. His word is sharper than a double-edged sword. He can break away the things, the chains and the hardship that's keeping you out of his, out of his Father's presence, and he can give you admittance into his presence. So the second part of this time is I want to, as individuals, ask God, what's keeping me from your presence, God? What's holding me back from being near you? And whether you choose to ask this question right in this moment or at home or every day of the year, he is asking this question because he wants you to be near him. And he's not ashamed of you. He knows what's going on. He knows where you are with him. He, he knows that stuff. And he has great compassion and great grace and forgiveness and acceptance. So let's ask him, God, where, how can we draw near? What's separating us from you? What what have we built up that's keeping us from you? Let's lift that mole in our hearts as we sing. I'll come back in a moment and close this out and we'll go get these kids of ours.